We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you're going to follow me on Twitter, and it's Friday, Friday, January 6th, the end of a, of a, of a not, not as cold week as it should have been, I guess, in the beginning of January. So I'm, I'm, I'm appreciating that. And I'm appreciating you, especially the people in the YouTube chat. Wataz, Suki Singh, Chase Simmons, Kickstart, Daniel Hutchings. Nerdy Tenor's in the chat. Oh, Nerdy Tenor's in the chat. That means dad's watching, I guess, right? Depending on what I'm talking about today. You know what we do on this show. It's Fridays. There's no MMA card. There's no UFC card uh, tomorrow. So uh, so there's not, not, not MMA today. Typically, we'd cover, you know, do some, uh, you know, MMA lineup construction strategy type of stuff. Uh, but uh, we're continuing to talk about kind of the, the, the topic that's been going on, like, throughout the course of the week, right? Because remember, this show is now much more unstructured learning on DFS strategies. We're not necessarily talking about today's slate. We're not necessarily even reviewing yesterday's slate. Although, using examples, we we can do some of that stuff. It is mostly me going through uh, uh, DFS game theory, answering your questions in the YouTube chat. You could also submit your questions via email to me questions at theoryofdfs.com and uh and they will be covered on the show at, at some point i try to i try to structure some stuff together try to piece questions that are very similar together so feel free to send them in i have them all logged and they, they will be covered uh and then sometimes I, I end up covering questions that you already have anyway so uh so send them in hit that thumbs up button you know i like the likey likes the likey likes and the thummy thumbs and all that type of stuff uh Jack Burkhart. Jack's here. Thinking it was an FA Cup DFS. Yeah, there's no there's no EPL tomorrow. It's a FA Cup. I ain't, I ain't playing that. They, they had midweek uh, soccer uh, DFS that I didn't play either. 
but Jack's Jack's here. He's a soccer DFS players. Jack Connors here. Okay, we got soccer people here. We got soccer people. I should I should be I should be happy that there are soccer DFS players. Just take my head to heads. I need to sell more head to heads, right? So if you're playing soccer DFS, I, I need I need I need more soccer action. But uh, the 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 stuff we were talking about today, I, a lot had to do with the concept in general of obviously where the money comes from, right? We we talked about that of equity distribution, where the equity is in the contest and where does it lie? Where does more of the money lie than others? Now in cash games, head to heads, double ups, whatever, it all lies in the same spot and you could capture it regardless of uh, absolute finishing position, right? If you're in a hundred man, 50, 50, the top 50, right? All have the same equity, all the equities in the top 50, and first to 50th have the same have the same exact equity. So the equity distribution is going to be flat, right? Is 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 you just need enough points to get right to the line and it doesn't matter. Any extra points won't matter, right? In GPPs on the other hand, almost like all of the equity, especially when it comes to once you add the rake and you know the the likelihood of you finishing in certain spots like all the equities in like the top 1%, top 0.1% even, right? So your goal is to go for that equity, right? Where is the equity? And then the further down the line, the equity is kind of like a like a like a hockey graph. Obviously, I'm going to show off my my wonderful artwork this week, right? I have to make like a Photoshop like good version of this. Right? I just I just like uh trashing on my artwork throughout the course of the show. So I just left it in my browser on this little sketch pad. They didn't save it or whatever. Just left it up here. So like if this was first place right down here, one, and this was hundredth place in like a hundred man GPP. And you could scale that to just be first place and this be a millionth place or whatever. Then in GPPs, this hockey stick, like in the last 1% or at least top 5%, like goes dramatically up. Like that's where most of the equity is, although they do pay out spots at the 10th, 15th, 20th, or even 25th, top 25th percentile. Like there's not as much equity there, right? Most of the equity is in the top 1%. So your, your goal is to try to build lineups that capture more of that equity than obviously the, the, the lack of equity towards the bottom spots, but then in like that min cash zone. Right, so you're sacrificing min cash equity to capture more top one percent equity. Okay, now this term equity is also used is also used in poker, right? And if you know that, you know I've I've been I've been relearning, relearning uh, the the modern game of poker. I guess you want to call it the modern game, right? I played regularly like fifteen to twenty years ago, and uh, and did well over five years. Was a profitable player. Was a fairly well profitable player. At the the low to mid stakes, uh, so a lot a lot of the concepts from from that from poker, you know, are in the theory of DFS. I mean, like it's a lot that that's why like a lot of a lot of good DFS players came from poker. But in a way, when we are building, you know, lineups that could win first place, right? We had we had this document from yesterday, right? The projection versus ownership. We talked about it just in the relation of projection versus ownership. And then we talked a little bit about combinatorics. Uh, you're looking to play a lineup with, in general, like this is the broadest base for GPP that has the highest projection for the lowest ownership, okay? And we're not 
We're not going to get ourselves concerned with the benefits of correlation and other things, right? Direct leverage, negative correlation to another player. We'll talk about that next week or some other time, right? I just want to iron out like really what it is about equity. How can we, how can we manipulate our lineups, arrange the numbers and capture more first place equity, more top 1% equity? Well, if we play our cash lineup in, uh, in a large field GPP or any GPP, pretty much, unless it's really small, right? What we're doing is that we're capturing a lot of this min cash equity and we're sacrificing top 1% equity because we're sharing too many points with too many other lineups, right? So in GPPs is like this. So if you could find lineups that are lower projected or have, have a, a wider range of outcomes, right? Higher variance. That now we're sharing less points with less people, with less lineups. So you may have to sacrifice one, two, three, five, 10, 15 points in projection to get a drop in ownership. Okay. The exact numbers, let's not concern ourselves about the exact numbers. As long as you drill in this concept that your goal in GPPs is to sacrifice projection to gain an ownership discount. You are adding relative value to your lineups, that your points are less correlated to other lineups' points, right? So when you score, you move up quicker than other lineups, okay? So we use this term projection, and a lot of times I use it as like a mean projection, median projection. You could you could say that it's a, it should be a full range of outcomes, right? So obviously yesterday we talked about normal distribution, more bimodal distribution type of things where the median doesn't matter as much. But just in general, the concept of a projection of just the range of outcomes for a player, right? That's what the that's what the term projection. So that 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 concept combined with for the lowest amount of ownership, for the most amount of leverage, for the most amount of relative value, that's what ownership would be. So when we say projection versus ownership, those are those two concepts. It's not just just base two base numbers. This is just a blunt representation. The median or mean projection total of your lineup and the ownership total or ownership sum or even ownership product of your lineup are just two blunt numbers, okay? This is a blunt way of doing it. But if you relate it to poker, okay? In poker, uh, think of how... Now, let's. I, I'm, try, I'm trying to relate two concepts that are similar but not completely the same but i but maybe 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 uh maybe daniel maybe nerdy tenor could help help me out maybe in the chat of what in poker would be called like a range advantage and a nut advantage okay so a range advantage in poker means that your hand range for your action or your position at the table represents if if obviously if you're like at least close to sound or GTO would be have a higher higher value than your opponents, okay, or an, another opponent. So, for instance, like an under the gun, like if you're playing no limit hold'em, and there's an under the gun raise and a big blind three bet after it just goes all the way around, right? And the under the gun raiser calls, like unless it's a tricky player, right? Most li- like. Uh, probably probably a better a better way would be like a like a button steal. Okay, so like I don't want to get into details, right? 
So let's uh, let's let's say it's an un, uh, an under the gun razor versus a, a middle position three better right next to him, and then the under gun uh, razor calls like the guy that three bet has a range advantage on his next opponent, or if he's isolating a limper, right? Under the gun limps, some some bad player limps under the gun, and then you iso raise, and then he calls. Like, you have a range advantage. Your range of hands, in order to raise in that spot, is going to be, on average, stronger. Go towards that, that, top, that top left corner of the hand range chart. So aces, kings, Queens, ace king suited, ace queen suited, queen king queen suited, tens, you know, like like it's gonna lean more towards there. While the original person that just limped, like his range of hands is gonna be way wider. Okay, so there are more combinations of weaker hands in his range versus my range. If I if I raise in that spot, obviously the example I tried to give before doesn't necessarily have to be true, right? A, a button steel raise against the big blind threat. Right, like big blind three bet is 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 most likely unless unless the button never steals is going to have the range advantage. So in, in DFS, I would say the range advantage, and I know Daniel in in the chat is talking about uh, a portfolio as far as a range advantage. I don't even want to get into portfolio dynamics yet. Right, he says I think an easy to see analogy with range advantage would be a one one fifty set versus another one fifty set where the first set has more equity than the other. Yeah, that that actually would be the best analogy. Cuz now you now you have 150 lineups. I'm just talking about just one lineup. But I guess one lineup is a, is a portfolio anyway. Right? So where where the first set has more equity than the other. So like if, even if it's just one lineup, right? If we're talking about a head to head or a cash game, what would the range advantage be? Just having a higher projection. Right? That would be the range advantage. I'm playing. I'm playing. A, I'm playing a lineup that projects for 150. Mean. And my opponent's playing one with 130. So I would have the range advantage right there. Okay. So that that that's kind of shifting over. You know, a poker term to DFS. What is the nut advantage? I think the nut advantage is more applicable to GPPs. So having the nut advantage in poker means that your hand by the river is more likely to make the nuts the best possible hand, or at least for the relation of the hand that is reasonable in a spot to be the nut hand, be the nut hand. If you, if you're, if you're holding uh ace king of hearts and the board is uh, a Jack 10 of hearts, I'm using a very extreme example, Jack 10 of hearts and the two of clubs, Right. You hold the nut advantage, right? Any offsuit queen comes, you have the nut straight, which would be the nuts. Any heart that comes, you would have the nut flush, ace king of hearts, right? So you hold the nut. You don't have. You only have ace high right now, but you have the nut advantage this hand. If the, if the, if the board was jack ten deuce with two hearts, and someone was holding jack eight or maybe even jack five, right? Jack five is ahead right now, right at the moment. I, and but actually, Ace King of Hearts in this scenario has more equity on the flop, right? Two over cards, right? You got six. You got six outs there, right? And then all the hearts, and you have the Ace King of Hearts. So like all the other, all 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 the hearts. Or you, know, you got you got yourself. A, that's a fifteen outer, 
right? With two cards to come, you actually have the you have the equity advantage right now, right? You have the range advantage for, for anyway, probably in that spot if you're up against Jack Five, right? So you understand like the nut advantage is like you are drawing to the nuts. You may not have it now. You may not be in first place. And that GPP, like on an NFL Sunday, right? The four o'clock games still have to go. But what would the nut advantage be after the one o'clock games, right? Look at this past week with Mike Evans with 51 points, right? Was that an early game? Was that a one o'clock game? I don't know. I think so. So if you have a 51 point wide receiver in your lineup, you have the nut advantage. You are, or at least your, your lineup is drawing to the nuts, drawing to the either the best possible lineup that you could possibly make, which you probably, a lot of times on large slates, you know, you don't need, you don't need the nuts. But if Mike Evans is 4% owned and he has 51 points, those 4% of lineups, let's say this is a, this is a hundred man contest, right? A hundred man contest and four lineups have Mike Evans after the 1 p.m. game. Okay, so those four lineups have the nut advantage, meaning if those lineups also have the range advantage, they they have more equity in the top 1%. The lineups that do not have Mike Evans are not drawn to the nuts. And depending on how many people have Mike Evans, you may be drawn to the nuts so minimally, right? That top 1% finish minimally, that that equity is no longer pretty much improbable to be available to you. So this is a, this is very important when it comes to late swap dynamics, right? The previous thinking, the previous thinking on late swap, which is not incorrect, but the previous thinking on late swap is, Oh, well, uh, you know, I don't have Mike Evans, right? Let's say in that scenario, you're playing a hundred man contest and let and or whatever. Like the the smaller we go, the the these these concepts matter a lot more. But let's say in a large field contest, a hundred thousand people in the contest, and there's you know four hundred lineups, right? Four thousand lineups, right? Four thousand lineups with Mike Evans in it, right? And you don't have Mike Evans. Like, yeah, there are going to be a lot of those 4,000 lineups that aren't going to make first place. They have a dud in there also or whatever. But there are enough lineups there where if you don't have Mike Evans, he's owned enough. Like, let's say he was 30% owned and you didn't have him. Like, dude, you have nowhere. Your your equity in the top 1% is pretty much gone, right? A 30% owned player with 51 points and you don't have him in your lineup, your nut advantage is like almost zero, Okay. So on this, on this, on this horrible graph, like all of this equity up here just is gone. It's got like, it's gone. It's the four o'clock. You, you have all these late swap options, but all this equity is gone. Right. But since you're playing GPP, a lot of these lineups are seeding. They're giving up min cash equity in order to get there. Now the previous notion is, oh, I don't have Mike Evans. I got to take out the chalk. Like if there's like two chalky players that are high projected, in your lineup, you're like, I got to switch off because I need to catch up, okay? Which may you may need to do when 30% own Mike Evans. But let's say only 4% own Mike Evans, right? You're playing a 100-man contest, right? Maybe top 12 pay. 
four lineups have Mike Evans. And you look at those four lineups and it's not like they have like, like guys that have three injured players and like, like stuff where like they have a reasonable enough line. Most likely that like your, your, your top four, top five, you know, equity is, has gone dramatically down. Okay. But there's still this min cash equity there that could be captured. So the previous notion of like, I don't have, you're in a hundred man contest. You don't have Mike Evans, but you still have like four spots in your lineup or whatever. And the rest of your lineup isn't like horrible, right? You don't have like zeros and you don't have like a two point snowflake out of a seven K guy or something like it's reasonable. You got guys there, right? You got pretty good guys that went off. Uh, most in the previous would say, well, if there's like crit, like in the last slate, it's like, oh, Christian McCaffrey is going to be 25% owned and the 49ers defense is going to be 40% owned. Uh, I got to swap off of them to catch up because I don't have Mike Evans. But the thing is, is that you're not competing against Mike Evans lineups anymore. You're not, right? All this equity up here is no longer available to you, right? And because the equity line, the distribution is so skewed, it's a hockey stick, right? Up here in the top 1%. Like if all of this was not available to you because you don't have Mike Evans, then why are you building lineups that are trying to capture that? You're not getting there. With a 4% on Mike Evans, like so one of those four people is 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 much more probable to win, right? To come in the top five spots. But since a lot of people are seeding min cash equity, shouldn't you be going after that, right? Yeah, yeah. You, at this moment, you know you can't win like like top top one, top ten, right? Maybe top five. Like maybe maybe you can come in tenth place. So at that moment, since the equity is gone, if we if I told you that you can't finish higher than eighth place in this hundred man contest then your goal is to maximize your lineup for ninth to 12th to 12th place. And depending on how on the players that give those lineups, the nut advantage, it will determine like how much leverage, how much projection that you need in order to just get into those spots. A lot of times people take it way too far. They go, I got to swap off all this chalk, right? But you're not competing against the Mike Evans lineups. People think in terms of how do I get the first place without Mike Evans? I got to start picking these, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to stack Jared Stidham with this guy, with that. And have like, like, dude, that's a, I don't know if you get there. The, your projection starts going dramatically down and you're already behind so far to Mike Evans lineups that why, why, why are you going on this, this like kamikaze mission to see if you could win this contest without Mike Evans? Well, maybe someone puts up 60 points at 1%. Like, why are you doing that? You should be maximizing for your long-term ROI. Like, the, the equity that's available to you isn't isn't at the top. It's right at the min-cash line. So maximize your, your lineup for that. And depending on how high-owned, like, if this was a 100,000-person contest and 1% had Mike Evans, like, that means the top two second percentile is still open to you. The top third percentile, the top, I mean, all the way down to the top 22nd, top 25th percentile is, but the top one isn't. And we know how much equity there is in the top 1%. It's a large outsized proportion. 
So now it's like, what's the difference of coming in the top 4% versus really coming in the top 12%? Like, yeah, it's a difference between like 3X and 5X, right? A difference between 1.5X and 2X. That's not that dramatically different, right? Now you almost feel like you're, you're, you're playing almost like a triple up rather than a GPP anymore. So instead of just taking out all these guys that hype project well and just try to, I got to beat these Mike Evans lineups. No, you just got to beat all the other lineups. Now you're competing with all the, who cares about the Mike Evans lineups? They have the nut advantage and you don't. So give them, they're, they're, they're done. Okay, let them compete for first. Now it's me, I'm just, now I'm just trying to preserve as much equity, realize as much equity as I can for this contest. Right, you don't want to just go. Okay, I'm going to just take out all these players, play all one percent guys, and it's like, well, either I come in like towards if if either I come in the top five percent or I come in last place. Well, what's in the top five percent? What like a maybe a ten x payout? Maybe, maybe, maybe not even that. An eight x payout. But this 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 graph, this you know, at the twenty second percentile, twenty fourth percentile, there's still these one point five x's there. That without Mike Evans, because he's only 1% owned, is still available to you. So go maximize your lineup for that, right? Now, let's use the example that Mike, let's extreme example. Mike Evans is 55% owned, and he puts up 50 points, and you don't have him. Well, look how many lineups have him. Like, look, look, if you're not competing against any of the Mike Evans lineups, it's like, dude, you're not going to make the 22nd percentile. Like, you ain't making that, Right? So now you have to, now you have to seed. Now you're looking at the lineups that don't have Mike Evans saying, I need to catch up to the, those 50% and also beat out the 50% that don't have them. So now at that point, just to even get to the 22nd or 25th percentile, now you have to make dramatic changes, right? Cause, cause yeah, you don't have the nut advantage. You go like, good luck. You have no shot in any, I mean, you have no shot at like top 5%, top 10% equity. I mean, you have none of that, right? That's a long shot. But in, but because since once you take out the 10th percentile, 15th percentile, now there's not that much equity left for you, right? You're going to have to make up a lot of points. You're going to have to find a lot of relative value in order to do that just to get to the cash line because the people with, the, there's too many people with the nut advantage, Right? So now you should just seed your range advantage. Just seed, seed your project. Just seed. You need relative value. Like there's no tomorrow. Like you don't care about projection range, your range at all. You're widening that shit. That's when you start going after, you know, I got, I got to drop the 49ers defense, right? That's way too owned. I got to drop McCaffrey. That's too owned, right? I'm not going to play Jefferson in that spot, right? That's I, maybe I leave three K on the table and just, you know, I only have three spots left and I'm just going ding, 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 just like, like help these 1% on guys. You, you find, you know, whatever. No one's playing, you know, Mike Williams or something on that slate. And you hope he goes, you know, 12 for 190 and three touchdowns. And even then, like the guys that have Evans and him have the, would have the nut advantage, but at least you could get to that line. So if you just blindly go in with late swap and go, go, yeah, I'm behind. Let me swap out stuff. It's like, you actually may be you, you, that you may be losing expected value, right? Because you're under this notion that you could you could somehow get a top one percent finish when you can't, 
And then there's other times where so few players, let's see extreme examples. The, it's a it's, uh, it's hundred thousand name contest, right? And, and, you know, you built a bunch of lineups. Don't run lineup. It doesn't matter. And some fourth wide receiver for some random team that barely anyone's playing, right? He somehow, you know, just you know, because of an injury, you know, lucks into uh, a 10 for 150 and two touchdown game. So he's like a $3,200 player, right? That ends up with like 38 points. And it's like, it's like one of those like Khalif Raymond weeks, right? We always see like that fourth Deshaun Jackson, but like no one's playing. He gets like 20, 22% of snaps. And for some reason there's an injury, then he's in. And then there's two big plays. And Trent Sherfield all of a sudden becomes the nuts, right? But then you look at the ownership and it's like his ownership is point, like 0.2% owned, 0.02% owned, like almost no one has him, right? Well, now the lineups that do have him have the nut advantage, but there's, there's not many of them, right? They still have to get like eight of the spots right. So it's quite possible, it's actually quite likely in this GPP that having that guy, that Khalif Raymond or Tutu Atwell, not currently, but but when, you know, when Cooper caught, when everyone was healthy on the Rams. Like, you don't have to, you you don't think in your head when they're 0.02% owned that, oh my God, I don't have him. I can't win. Let me start. You know, oh, I gotta, I gotta seed my rage advantage to try to find the nuts of something that could be the nuts more than this thirty-eight pointer at point two nothing percent owned. Like those, li- yeah, those lineups are competing for the nuts, but there's a lot of ways that go wrong in the other spots in their lineup that there aren't that many of them. There's in that contest of a hundred thousand entries, maybe there's forty lives like that. And it's tough to get everything else right also, even having that guy. And typically, if someone's playing someone like that, a lot of times the lineup is very low projected to begin with, right? They're playing a lineup that, like, the rest of the spots may not even be, you know, that you see. And you go, how this lineup projects for, like, 42 points lower than mine, right? Because not only did they play the 0.2% own whatever the hell, they're also not playing any part of the, like, they're, like, like it looks like a button mashing line. So people overreact and say, well, I don't got that guy. I got to start swapping out. No, you may actually still have first place equity. You may literally still have first place equity in that contest. And then people start switching out. And this is why in small field GPPs, that is more likely to happen. Because there are less lineups that are possible for that to happen. So in a small field contest, let's say this is a hundred man contest and that guy goes off. I'm going through this, you know, and just in steps so you could see. So in this hundred man contest, let's say Khalif Raymond goes off at 38 points. You know what the first thing you should do if you're in this hundred man single entry GPP? Check to see if anyone has them. Don't just assume. Just say, don't just go, oh my God, I don't have the guy you need. You have to have. You'll probably, you almost more probably go into your 100 man single entry GPP and see that he's 0% on. Like no one has him. So if no one has him, it doesn't matter what he did. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. 
right? Now in a 100,000 person contest, yeah, it's more likely that someone has someone. But how many of those, how many people have that guy? There's a very big difference between 0.2% and 2%, right? In a large field contest, 100,000 entries, right? If 2% of people have that play, that's 2,000 lineups that are competing for top 1%. That, that, there's a lot more of those other combinations with that guy that one of those 2,000 lineups may end up in first place. Now, in a, let's say they're 2% owned in a 100-man contest. Well, that's only two lineups. So if you see that that's the case, like Mike Evans is in two of these lineups, look at those lineups, right? Don't just go 2% and that's it. Like you have the ability to download CSVs on DraftKings or even on FanDuel, just looking, just finding them. They're going to be at the top currently, probably. And maybe you go in and you see that Mike Evans lineup and there's two guys that are like two point, like Dalvin Cook did badly. Ramondre Stevenson got injured. And one of those Mike Evans lineups has like, like, a 7K player with three points and a and an, a, a 6K player with, with two points. And you go, wow, this lineup, yeah, it's making up all the points for those other players with Mike Evans. But these spots are duds in their lineup. There's only two lineups with Mike Evans. So you look at the other Mike Evans lineup and maybe there's three duds in their lineup. And you go, well, maybe it's possible to win this 100-man without even having Mike Evans, even though two people have him. They missed on too many other spots. So even in this 100-man contest, now if you went to the Mike Evans lineup and it's like, wow, the guy has Mike Evans. He also has, he stacked the game, right? He has DJ Moore. He has Brady, Evans, Godwin, Moore. Well, he's going to probably be in first place in the way above everyone else in this 100-man, especially if Mike Evans is 2% owned. And let's say Brady is 4% owned and Godwin is, is 4% owned, like, there's not many lineups with the Brady stack and the DJ Moore run back. And you look and it's like, yeah, that guy on the other hand, right? The, one lineup has all these duds with Evans and one lineup has like the three plus one Brady stack. And you go, yeah, the three plus one Brady stack that, that they, they have, they have the first place equity, right? Everyone else is competing for second place at this moment. Probably most probably. Okay. But you have to eliminate all that first place. Now, in that moment, you have to eliminate all the first place equity and go, okay, once I take out first place, what am I aiming for, right? But you can aim for second. You can aim for second place here, right? Now, if like out of this 100-man contest where 12 pay, or let's just, let's say 20 pay, like, because it's more reflective of a large field, but 20 pay. If like 10 have the Brady stack, it's like you're no longer competing for 10th place. You're competing for 11th place, right? To make up that amount of relative value to maybe another game will go off even more than that. Like it, it's not happening. So as you go down the scale and, you know, because it's such hockey stick at the end, you may get to the point that even if you have like decent players in your lineup, like you shouldn't be swapping, right? You should just like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to build the best projected lineup and hope that my opponents build worse lineups because they don't realize they're not competing for first place equity or even 10th place equity. Which is like the opposite concept of a lot of times that you hear. If someone has this player and I'm behind and I got to swap. Now in head-to-heads, it's easy to see. It's easy to see who has the range advantage and who has the quote nut advantage. And the nut advantage is just a winning lineup, right? I mean, that would be the case in a 100-man small field also. 
Like you don't need the nuts. You ne- I mean, you don't need a lot of times in like in baseball, you're not going to have the nuts in baseball GPPs. Like no one's playing the lineup with all one offs and everything like that. And that's 40 points higher scoring than the, the winning lineup of the GPP because it's just so random up there that it's not going to be a combination. Sometimes maybe you get to see it. You don't need anywhere near the nuts. But even if we use the term like the winning GPP lineup as the nut lineup, like you don't need that in small field. Like that, you need, you could have a much lower scoring lineup. So don't overreact and say, well, I don't got this guy and I don't got that guy. Well, take a look at their lineups and say, do they do they really have the nut advantage or do they not? It's quite possible that the lineups, the two lineups with Mike Evans, the other spots are bad enough that while having Mike Evans gives you a nut advantage, their, their range is so poor right now that they can't capitalize on that nut advantage. I'm using these terms correctly. I'm, I'm trying to kind of relate it to poker, kind of in some way, right? Daniel Hutchings says, drawing to the nuts is very similar to the idea of playing for first, right? And for most DFS players playing GPPs today, they should play more for first than they currently do. Yes, right? That's what that's one of the exploits, right? That's what we talked about yesterday. I mean, that's why we build lineups with lower projection and lower ownership, right? Because there's too many people that build the best play type of lineups, right? And there's also too many people, especially in the more casually participating sports, they build lineups that are way too low projected, right? You could take advantage of them. But for the most part, a lot of the time, especially in the daily sports in the middle and, you know, it's a July and it's baseball. There are too many people that are building lineups that are like, well, who's the best stack today? Oh, the Red Sox? Well, I'm going to play them. And who's the best pitchers today? I'm going to play those two, right? Because they're the best plays. They're trying to give themselves the range advantage. The range advantage isn't how you play GPPs. The range advantage is how you play head to his body by cash games. It's how you play double ups. Like you should be aiming for the nut advantage. What lineups could what lineups could give me the nut advantage by having a two percent on my Kevin's, right, and needing to have them, especially in the smaller field contest versus the larger field. Now in the larger field, there's way more top heavy equity towards first place, so you should be more inclined to. Add relative value to your lineups by playing an even lower projected lineup for even lower ownership because you're trying to aim for that first place. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Daniel Hutchings also says interestingly, I've run simulations of contests where I look at two 150 maxers, and one of them has a higher chance of winning first and yet lower total equity. But he still thinks that my prior point stands. Yeah, we'll talk about portfolio dynamics at, a, at, a, at another time, right? Because now you first have to get to the point of building plus EV lines, right? That have positive equity in the contest. Before then, we talk about having a, a set of them. And how do you devise your set? What is your total equity in the set compared to other sets? Like those types of things. That's beyond the scope of today's discussion because you first have to learn this. Right. When people start talking about exposures and being over the field and be playing more frequently this and less frequently that and doing all this portfolio crap, they're doing that first before trying to just look at the individual line and just make sure you're building plus EV lines. They're going right into an optimizer going, oh, I want 20 percent Drake London and I want 10 percent Hunter Henry and I want this guy like like, dude, look at the lineup. It's not it's lineups, not players. So first learn how to build. One good lineup, then two good lineups, then five good lineups, then 10 good. And then, then you could start going, okay, now how do I manage a portfolio of these lineups that are already plus EV individually as it is, and then compare it to the field, right? People people start from two to, I'm going to build a one film. I'm going into the mini max, right? Or whatever, quarter arcade. I'm building 150 lineups. Bing, bang, boom. I see all the pros do it, right? They're building 150 lineups. Not all the pros, but, you know, the ones... That you see with the screenshots, you know, winning first place or something. A lot of the time, you don't need you don't need 150 lineups. And they go, I, I want to learn how to do that, so I'm going to do it at the smallest scale, which is which is smart. You should be learning how to do it at the at the small stakes before you do it at the at the compete against everyone. But it's not just simply going in and going, okay, I'm just going to put in something. What are the magic settings, right? What are the magic? I, I found the magic settings. I just do that every day. Like that. No, you have to start by building one lineup, by understanding understanding projection, ownership, what, what, what that means for the equity in the contest. And if you can manage that for one lineup, right? It doesn't mean your results necessarily show out because you may need a sample size of God knows how long. But once you at least understand the concept of that and you start building stronger lineups with higher equity, then you can build two of them. You start trying to capture more of the equity, right? That's why that's why those sharper players play 150 lineups. They want to capture even more of the equity, right? Everyone is competing for this, this, this zone right here, this top 1%, top 5% equity. So it's like, I got one lineup that I'm, I'm getting my little piece over here, right? There's that little dot. That's my piece with that lineup. And it's like, well, if so many other people are building these lineups and those lineups, it's like, oh, there's still more equity. I'm gonna, I'll build a second lineup. Is there any more? Yeah, I'll build a, I build a third lineup. I'll build a fourth. Now, other people are also looking at that, going, I'm gonna build a second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh. Right? And how much equity is there? It's like, oh, maybe there's enough. Okay, I'm, I'm building 150. And someone else says, I, I still think there's enough equity left. I'm building 150. I still think there's another equity left, some third person, 100. And then you get like 50, 70, 100, 150 maxers. They're all trying to capture, right? Because the max they could play is 150. And so it's like, how much equity can I capture? And it's all coming out of either the PPP lineups, the piss poor projected lineups, 
are way too, way too low projected. Or the lineups that are just way too high owned. They, they'd have minimal relative value. They're seeding. They're, they're saying, I want my outsized portion of 12, you know, I want my outsized portion of 2000th place. And I'm going to seed my portion of the top 100 spots. So it's, oh, you're seeding those. I'm going to take them. I'm going to take them. Here's my, here's my 21st lineup. Here's my 22nd lineup. Here's my 25th lineup. Thank you. Thank you for letting me take your equity in that spot. Thank you. Move aside. I'll take it. That's why they play 150 lineups, right? Because they could already build one lineup that has equity up here. So why can't they build 150 of them, right? That's the point of playing 150 lineups. That's why you may see some people that are like, if you're good enough to build one plus EV lineup, then you should be maxing out the contest, right? It's not because of a disadvantage. Well, they have more of an advantage. No, it's because if you already know how to do it, for five lineups, you, are, you would already know how to do it for 20 lineups or for 50 lineups. And then, then we start getting into portfolio dynamics. And then you now you're competing against other 150 maxers. And you go, how do I get how do I get more of my fair share of that equity? You'd still be profitable regardless. You may not even have to go past that and say, okay, whatever. As long as I'm profitable, maybe I don't have to have more equity than you know than 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 nerdy tech. Because there's still enough bad players in there past the rate that you're capturing money, right? You're fine. But if you're doing it wrong, you're just, if you're doing, if you can't build one lineup and you now you're trying to build 150, you're just going to go broke even quicker. And even if you build plus EV lineups and build 150 of them, the swings are this, right? The variance is still absurd, right? So you need to have the bankroll to withstand that. You could go on six feet, you could easily, easily, I'm not saying could, you will. I'm telling you, you will. If you maxed out the main GPP, which is typically $15, $18, and you just max that out, and you were good, and you and you were good. You were building plus EV lineups. You, you are good. And you play 150 of them? I'm not saying you could go on six-figure downswings. I'm saying you will. You will go on. It's It's inevitable. It's a likelihood. It is, a, it is an outsized majority probability that you will have periods where you have 100,000 plus downswing. But you'll also have, you'll also have those spikes and you hope, and if you're good, most most likely those spikes will be higher. Those tops will be higher than the downs, right? So even though you have a, you have a $150,000 downswing, but your upswings are like 240,000, right? You bink this, and then three weeks later, you bink that. And next thing you know, your downswing's gone, and now you're up, you know, 120 grand, right? Or something like that. That's the life of that type of player. So if you, if you want to be that, you obviously, I would say practice in the small states, quarter arcade, mini Mac, that type first. But understand that that's what it is. Do you want to have those swings? If the answer is no, then play 20 lineups, right? It's going to be the same roller coaster. It's just that now, the, you know, it's going to be kind of the kiddie ride, right? So let's say the 150 maxers could like $200,000 up, $200,000 down, $300,000 up, $150,000 down, $500,000 up, $50,000 down. Like that's what we've, that. So now with like, let's say 25 lineups, 
That's a sixth of that. So like in like almost in proportion. Right. So instead of two hundred thousand dollars, it's more like forty thousand dollars up, twenty thousand dollars down, sixty thousand dollars up, ten thousand dollars down. Like like. There's still there's still swings, right? There's still five figure swings. Right. If you're playing 50 lineups. But if you want to play five lineups, then the swings will be like, I mean, whatever. Right. Of course, you win less often because you only have five lineups. Right. But your ROI compared to the 150 matches may be similar. Right. You know, I'm getting a, you know, I end up with a 35, 40% ROI in these GPPs. You go, okay, that's great. How much raw money is that? And may end up in, you're playing 40 lineups, 20 to 40 lineups. Maybe that's, maybe that's 50 grand. Maybe that's, you know, 80 grand, right? It's not a quarter of a million. It's not 500,000. But if you want to get to that, you, you, you need to be willing to have the, the experience of downswings. That's just, no, that's just variance. That's just, that's what it is. So if you can't handle that, then, then play 20 lineups. Or you don't want to handle it. Or if your bankroll can't, you had to do it within the scope of your bankroll. You're playing 20% of your bankroll in GPPs and you're playing 150 max. You're, 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 I'm not saying you could go broke. You will go broke. It's 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 a majority probability. You're playing 20% of your role in large field GPPs, 150 maxing. I can't see how you don't end up at the point where you need to play the mini, the mini max because your bankroll has been you know, you you lose, you end up with like ninety five percent of your bankroll from the beginning at some point down to that. Right? It's going to happen like that. So you need to be properly rolled. If you're one fifty maxing and you're only spending two percent of your bankroll, less likely your risk of ruin goes down. So in order to withstand these six figure swings and only playing two percent, three percent of your bankroll. How big does your bankroll need to be? Probably seven figures. Probably, right? A lot of people risk. A lot of people risk it with even lower bankrolls. And I, like you know me, I, I'm I'm a conservative. My my bankroll management approach is much more conservative than most DFS players. So that that's the way that I play, right? That's why I typically don't one fifty max, right? Because I don't want I don't I don't want that. Me, me winning $75,000 a year versus me winning $200,000 a year doesn't make me feel any different. It doesn't change my life. I'd love to have the extra money. Sure, oh, of course, why, why not? But my life won't change. My expenses won't change. I'm not going to go out and get a fancy Rolex or anything like that with the extra money. So my attitude is, why do I want to put up with the, the those swings? Because that's stressful. It's stressful even at my level with the swings that I go on at five figures, six figures off to risk it for an extra X amount of dollars. It's like, no, nah, I don't want to do it. No, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine where I am. I'm fine. I don't have to be the best. I don't have to win all the money. But that's my approach from a bankroll management perspective. And that's why when I play, I'm typically playing like 1% or less of my bankroll on a slate. NFL, I step it up a little bit more because it's a little bit more more casuals in there. The contests are softer. Or MMA, I step it up a bit. And soccer, I could. If I got action, people take my goddamn head to heads. 
but in most like daily sports, MLB, NBA, like one one percent or less. So I'm not sweating these things of like, oh my god, this guy got injured. Like it, it it's I'm playing 0.6% of my bankroll. If I if I get a minus 98% loss, yeah, that's that's a really bad day. That happens on occasion. But it's not the end of the world. It's not 10% of my bankroll in raw money. It's not, it's not 30, 40 grand gone in one slate. I can't, I can't. My lifestyle, I don't I don't need I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need to make seven figures this year. I don't I don't need it. I understand people that love that's that's what people do. Right? I get it. If you have an edge and you're gonna just hammer it down, even though your risk of ruin goes up, that's fine. I'm just not that type of person. Matt Muir says, re- really liking the show's new format. Grant Brown says, new format is great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. See, I'm not yelling at people and I'm answering questions. And they're not stupid. And they're not stupid questions. It all, it's almost like if you put out smart content, you don't get stupid questions. Hopefully you don't. Someone will jump in here. I know some, someone, someone that's never watched a show or anything like that will jump in and go, Go, you know, who's who's playing? Uh, do I play Tyler Algier or do I play Najee Harris? You know, it'll be some some type of question like that. And that and that then my head explodes, right? Uh Neil Jaworski says he's a little behind the live stream, but uh Mike Evans late swap example is a light bulb moment for me. Yeah, I talked about it with the MMA late swap stuff. Also, if you go if you watch the video, the MMA late swap video, uh, I think me and Nerdy Tenor uh were on for like 90 minutes talking about. We talked about the same thing, that it's so easy. 12-fight card, 24 fighters. First fight of the night, you know, the underdog scores 144 points. I mean, like, whoever has that guy, is that's the nut advantage. There you go. You know, you ain't winning the large field contest without without them. I mean, and it's not like they could be point nothing percent on. There's only 24 fighters, right? So even if they're 4% on, that's still, in a 30,000 entry contest, that's, that's still 1,200 lineups, right? So someone, 1,200, there's 1,200 combinations of the drawing to the nuts. You're, you're going to need them. So like, if you don't have, if you don't have that person, why are you, why are you swapping to like, I'm going to choose the most contrarian lineup possible. Like you're not competing against those spots. Just try to min cash, get five wins in your lineup and you're probably good. Get your 1.5x, get your 2x, get your 3x, and get the get the hell out of there. But people do the the, the they go. I'm going to try to beat those. Li- I'm going to try to beat those 1,200 lineups. How how who how is it possible that a 144.7k fighter doesn't make the winning line? I mean, like, so you're telling me that they're not a, they're not going to be a top six fighter? That there's going to be five other fighters that score more than 144 points. Like, feel free to go on that adventure. I ain't going with you. That, how rare is that going to happen? I don't know if it ever happens. So why, why are you building lineups for those those occurrences? You're not you're you're not competing against that equity is gone. You're not competing for that equity. You're competing for min cash equity now, right? So build your lineups, late swap your lineups accordingly. And if you happen to have the one forty four fighter, if you're one of the four percent, you're now you're building for the nuts. Right, and maybe you increase your range advantage over those lineups by playing the by playing the higher projected chalky players. That's what's called blocking. Right, I'm I'm looking to block my opponents. Now in large field, it's tough because you you're going to be against 1,200 lineups. 
What am I supposed to do? Go through all those lineups? Well, you could download the CSVs and see. But a lot of times, you know, it's it, there's still eight fights to go. So you don't, I mean, there's so many combinations. But imagine a small field contest. Imagine you're playing a 100-man contest, right? Like this. You're sitting there with like a 6% owned guy that just put up 144 like that. It's a 100-man small field contest. How hard is it to look at the six lines? Just click, you can click through. You don't even have to download anything. Just click through. Just tap it on your phone. Find the six lineups that have the have the, the nut advantage. And if it was the third fight of the night, it's quite possible that out of the six lineups, which lineups have a losing fighter from one of the two, first two fights? Maybe out of the six, three of them do. So now those three lineups aren't drawn to the nuts either. So now you're competing against the, the other two lineups plus you that have that person in it, right? So you look at those two lineups and that like in the first fight, like some $9,200 fighter, $9,400 fighter only scored like 90 points. That could possibly win this contest. I mean, that that's fine, but it's not, that lineup is probably not drawn to the nuts. So you may, and you are the one with the only one that has that. Since you have the nut advantage over all 99 lineups in the contest, it may be worthwhile to just increase your range. Or now, technically, it would be narrowing your range. By how how could now you go from a negative leverage spot when you're behind to a positive leverage spot when you're ahead? So you know what you're doing. You're trying to block relative value. Like these these guys that are going to try to catch up to me, I want to block their points, block their points, block their points. Where I'm sharing those points also. Now in a large field GPP, it's not just about blocking because you still need the nuts. Right, because there's going to be so many more lineups. It's not like you're competing with six lineups. You're competing with 1,200 lineups. So it's like you can't block everyone, right? So you have to just, how do I draw to the, the first place lineup? This is the why in late swap, when they introduced that for MMA, large field late swap is probably, there's less of an edge. There's still an edge, but less of an edge than in small field. Only because you're not drawing to the, in MMA, you know, there's only so few options. That's why typically the nut lineup wins. But in a small field contest, then you don't need the nut lineup to win. It'd be nice. Yeah, sometimes the nut lineup is in, is in the 555. A lot of times it isn't, right? And it's very easy, even manually, because there's only 300 entries in that 555, to find the lineups that have the nut advantage and go, who am I competing with if I have those fighters? And comparing yourself to them. Now you're almost playing like this little mini GPP on the side. Oh, only six people have that guy? And two of them have like a bust in it. They have a loss, right? A garbage. So you're like, okay, these four others don't. How do I beat those four lineups? How do I block those lineups? How do I, how do I, how do I, how do I differentiate from those lineups and block the other lineups? You're playing this little GPP with that four man until the next fight happens. And maybe then, maybe there's another fighter, a $9,400 fighter scores 130 points. And you, ah, I had the $9,300 guy still to go. And now you're looking for who has both of those fighters. And maybe one of those lineups has both. So it's like, okay, I'm not competing with them anymore. Right. I'm competing for second place now, but it's quite possible that none of the lineups that have that underdog that scored 144 have the, the guy that just scored 138. That was at 9K possible i mean with salary dynamics it's actually more likely that you do have that guy it's quite possible you don't 
That's like, so who has the nut advantage? Well, people that have that that fighter but not the underdog, they may be looking at your lineups now going, if they start getting duds, that underdog may not matter anymore because they all the lineups, those four lineups left with just the underdog with 144 may end up with a dud, dud, dud the next three fights. And they could only have like five wins. Those lineups that have that high price fighter that scored 138, now they have the nut advantage. In this contest, at least, right? Because now it's like, nope, we're not even competing against those lineups anymore, right? They have busts in there, and now I don't have any busts, and I have this 9K guy that put up a lot. So you understand the dynamic of what you have to know where the equity is and what equity you're competing against, what you're competing for, and what lineups are you really, really competing against, and what lineups you're not, especially when it comes to late swap. Daniel Hutchings says it's true at the level of lineups too. One lineup could have higher first place equity than another and still have lower EV. That's probably a bit of a fringe point though. Yes. Yeah, you're right. It could because it just doesn't, it doesn't cash in some other, in in the top equity zones enough and comes in way past, you know, last, last towards last place that ends up being negative EV because it doesn't win first place enough. I, I get that. Curious to the equity dynamics of about an 800-person contest this is from Jack Burkhart. Let's say sort of flat payouts, like 10% the first, 10th of that, you know, the really the really flat stuff. And you enter 20 lineups. Happens all the time in soccer. Well, now with that type of payout structure, which is the flattest that like DK offers, it doesn't look like a hockey stick anymore. It looks like a lot more a lot more linear, right? It looks a lot more linear. It looks, you know. I don't want to draw on this because this is a beauty. It's a beauty. But it's kind of like this This thing up here goes like all the way down to here. And it's just kind of like linearly like that. Like something, you know, like a limb, like a line. And that In that case, you, in that case, there's a lot more value in second, third, fourth, fifth place. Because it doesn't go from like 40,000, 100,000. Second to first. It goes something like 40,000, 50,000. Right, it's one of those types of content. I mean, they don't offer those. Fifty thousand, forty thousand, thirty thousand, twenty-five thousand, twenty thousand, fifteen thousand, ten thousand, nine thousand, eight thousand, seven. Like if it's like that, there's a lot more value in like eighth place, right? Imagine tenth place, right? You imagine this payout structure, right? Even if I show it on 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 here, right? Create another page. Can we get another page up here? Right. I mean, there's so much different between like one like this: fifty thousand, forty thousand, thirty thousand, twenty-five. Like, let's get it even like as flat as possible. Let's do something like like this. All right. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, eight, nine, ten, or something like that. Like this is real flat. But this is 10th place, $7,000. Who cares what the entry fee is? Compare it, compare it to a normal DP, DK, like DKGPP, right? 100,000, 40,000. Like we see these payout structures like this. 10,000. Then it goes down to 5,000. And it goes to like 3,500. And two thousand and fifteen hundred and 
1200 and then like 1000 like like that's that's 10th place right the top 10 spots are like that do you see why that you really have to be aiming like in these top heavy payout structures on this side on this right side like dude coming in 10th place is only a grand you probably have to beat 28,000 lineups, right? And you get a grand and it's like $20 entry fee or something. Like, look how much equity there is up here. And the difference between third and second is a lot. And the difference between second and first is humongous, right? So there's so much more, there's so much more incentive to like screw coming in 10th. I need to, I mean, I'm just, you have to aim for first. Like, screw this. I have to take on more risk. I have to increase the variance of my lineups. I need to, I need to compete for first. I need to, I need to find a way to give myself the nut advantage. In this type of contest, same, same entry fee, same everything. Look how much more valuable 10th place is. Look how much equity. Like coming in, if you came in, what is this, fifth place? That's the same as coming in third place here. Right? If you can't, if you came in. At 10th place, it's like, dude, that's not even that's not even fifth place. And this like there's so much more because then obviously as it scales down, you'll get six thousand, five thousand, forty five hundred. Like by the time you get to like 50th place in this one, you may only be four Xing your money. Yet 50th place in this contest, maybe you're maybe you're 10xing or 15xing your money. So those equity zones are much more worthwhile to not poo-poo. Yet in this top-heavy stuff, it's like screw you can't. You're not going to be able to be profitable getting more three X's than the field. You need you need to win first. Even second isn't even good enough. I mean, because some of these contests have like thirty percent of the prize pool going to first place. That's the main reason why, as as Nerdy Tanner said, that you're getting so much of an equity advantage over the people building cash lineups and GPPs that have so limited relative value is because of this payout structure. Those cash lineups, those, you know, play the best plays, they're all high owned. They're more valuable in these flat payout structure contests. They can capture some 10Xs, like 10Xs don't have to be as far up, right? The min, that zone, that, you know, over there is, there's much, there's, so many more, so much more equity there. These contests, percentage-wise, the top-heavy stuff, it's so skewed towards the top 0.01%, top 0.1%, that building cash lineups is just not profitable for those types of contests. It may still not be profitable for this flatter payout structure, but at least it would be more, be more, the EV would be higher. Neil Jaworski says, definitely makes sense. Just never really thought of late swapping strategy like this, which is embarrassing to say. No, nothing's embarrassing, Neil. This is a place to learn. We're learning. You're not asking stupid questions. You're not asking 2v2s, right? So this is fine. I'm learning poker again. And I feel the same way. I'm telling Neil, I've talked to several much more skilled poker players than me that have been playing for 15 plus years professionally. Much higher stakes than I play. They're playing eight tables, four tables, whatever, online for God knows how long. Way, way higher than me, right? And I and I feel, I talk to them and it's just like, I. 
If I'm asking a stupid question, just let me know. Right? Right? I feel I feel like I have I feel like I I feel like I don't have like I, I'm not in complete grasp of some of this stuff, right? Because I'm trying to convert my knowledge from 15, 20 years ago to today. A lot of times, you know, you know what you know what they told me? It said after an hour conversation, I'm like, so like, and am I getting anything too wrong? Am I thinking about this properly? And eventually, eventually they'd have to tell me, it's like, dude, like you should be able to, that, that, that two, five, 1000 max locally here in Louisville at the casino card room here. Like you said, like they say, like within five minutes of this discussion, I'm like, you're probably the best player in that game. I go, but I don't feel like that. Like most likely you are. But yeah. Yeah. If you if you went up if you went up to ten twenty five or twenty five fifty or you're playing online five ten no limit yeah you 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 you're not you're not you're not you may not fare very well I said but for the level of games that you're at you, like what are you talking about you're using terms that if you went to the table like more than half the table wouldn't even wouldn't even know what that means and just because, and you you think you know I only know it ninety five percent of what it means right like I'm only at that and going that extra five percent makes me feel like do I really know it it's like imposter syndrome so Neil I like dude if you, you you've watched the show long enough I know Neil Neil Neil's a fairly regular in the chat you're good you're good to go right maybe you could do the late swapping type of and think of these things more. You're probably you're probably profitable as it is, but now you can be more profitable, right? Now maybe you could step up to a little bit higher stakes, like. And if you don't want to go that far, like like I told the poker people, like yeah, but if you if you want to get past five ten no limit, right? You need a grasp of what you're grasping now that that I think you're good with, and you're gonna need to you need to have all these counter exploits and all this type of stuff. Is it? But if if in the games that you're playing, if you're not looking to get past there, like if you should learn that stuff anyway, if you want your own personal improvement, and obviously it increases your win rate at the games that you're in, but it it may not even be all that necessary, right? It won't it may not add as much to your earn as you think because you're not playing against in a, in a game where you need to do, you know, when you when you, you need to have four bet bluffing raises, right? You don't need that. You're playing in games that with with under bluffers and and overfolders, like a typical two five game. So you act, just exploit that. So Neil, you're fine. You're good. Daniel says, uh, "Don't feel bad. I'm still learning what the hell my process actually does and why." Right? Because because with Daniel, like it's like learning on its own. It's like you know, he has Skynet running, right? It's gonna be. It's gonna get self-aware and end up beating everyone in DFS, right? That's what's gonna end up happening to Nerdy Tanner. That's what's gonna happen. It's gonna become self-aware, and then start creating. It's gonna start marrying people, right? To create more accounts. And next thing you know, it's gonna take take everything, all the contests in DK. It's like ends up being won by all 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 of Nerdy Tanner's uh, uh, supercomputer, right? Starts. It, it takes. It takes on human form. And maybe it even creates a show, right? It ends up becoming a town, also, right? Because why not? Why not? Why can't why can't this program become a town? That's fine. Uh, okay. So give me a thumbs up. Hit the thummy thumb as we kind of sort of wrap up 
this subject uh, as, as you know, for this week, I kind of want to put all these things together. Uh, we'll be talking. Well, I mean, we'll probably get back to some of these concepts, right? This is, this is, this is unstructured learning. So if there's something that you want to talk about that you want to explain more, just even just email me questions at theory of DFS.com. And I, I take them in. I've already taken in plenty of submissions. And what I like to do is like group them together and like, that all are related to similar topics. And then I can, I can bang them out and go, I got four questions on this bang, 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 bang. So just send them in and obviously be part of the YouTube chat. You could always ask anything you want here live. If you're listening on the podcast feed and we have uh and we have a, a, a title title, right? Cause now we have titles for the shows that should be also on YouTube, right? We, we need to make sure that the titles on YouTube also have this, right? It may still have the normal like SEO garbage in it. Right with the oh, DraftKings and FanDuel DFS strategy review, we need to put the the, the titles in the, on the YouTube shows also, as well as the podcast feed, as well as the Rotogrinder site. Uh, I, I'm assuming that we're going to call this range and nut advantage. This range and nut advantage, I think. I think that's the best best thing, so we can we can reference it at some point, right? And so maybe someone out there could actually create like a table of content, a table of contents type of thing, right? So we could put a page on the Rotogrinder site. Because I mean, the the thumbnail for a lot of these are just like a date or something that we could have like a reference guide, right? A structured place, right? A structured place to go. Like this is when I talked about this. This is what I talked about. And if I happen to talk about the same thing again, we could just put it there again and go like these are the shows where this was talked about. So maybe maybe someone out there could could make it, or I'll do it, or I'll find someone at RG to do it, or something. I mean, we need to build up a lot more before we 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 get a page like that. So you can then find these shows easier in the past. Uh, but if you want the most structured learning, get the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's my, it's my 15 hour audio DFS masterclass. How to think like a professional DFS player. These concepts are in this course. Okay. So if you want to structure it, I want to learn minute, minute one to hour 15, the, the fundamentals of DFS game theory, you get this course. And then after that, then you get the advanced players course, which is 10 chapters. You listen to that. And this is builds on the concepts from the first course to apply these profitable DFS strategies. And it comes with Excel tools that James and has developed that both me and him use and a bunch of other people that get this course used to, in addition to lineup HQ on Roto grinders for the, for the optimizer and the lineup builder to us, uh, weed through lineups, you know, check correlations, right? Correlation matrices to, uh, to trim lineups, to analyze contests, right? And as long as you have Microsoft Excel, uh, it, it should it should work for you. You can see we have a little lineup simulator, a little Monte Carlo lineup simulator. You can put 10 lineups in with the projections and the range of outcomes, and it'll just run through win percentages if you want. I mean, that's that's in, in these courses. So go to theoryofdfs.com, pick it up. We got tons of shows today. It's the last week of the NFL regular season. So subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Hit that notification bell to know when it goes live. All the Game Theory show, the last Game Theory NFL show. That's for premium members only. Premium members also get access to my Blenders Game Theory channel in Discord on the RG server. So you can join me there. You can ask me whatever you want there also. That's where I, that's where I hang out. That's my hangout. When I'm not on this show, if you want to talk to me, it's better to do it in that channel than like through my Twitter DMs. Right. If you have a question for the show, email it in. Okay. But if you want to just 
converse with me and converse with other people that isn't related to like a specific slate and just this type of stuff, just catch me in there. Subscribe to Roto-Grinders. You get full access to that. I also do two or three Zoom calls, group coaching calls a month for, for premium members in there. We get on Zoom and we talk about stuff. So join me there. Hit that like button on your way out the door. And I'll be back next week answering your DFS strategy questions like I always do. Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.